and to stand in front of you today um, and to talk about a chapter in the book of Mark that we've been talking about for the last couple of months. Um, so as we begin, let's dig right into the scripture passage. Ruby, will you, can you put that up there for me? The scripture passage. Oh, oh, I got it. My bad. I got it. All right. We're in Mark 10 today. We're starting at verse 35. If you're following along in your Bibles or on your devices, uh, we're using the NLT version. And it says this. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request? He asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? The rest of it's not on there. So now I need a Bible from the pews because I didn't even bring mine. It's all good. Oh, Janelle's got it on her phone. Thanks, Janelle. Now I have to figure out where we are. There we go. Oh, yes, they replied. We are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. Thank you, Janelle. That was a lot. There's a couple of stories going on here today um, that we will that we'll dig into in a little bit. But um, the first lines of that call to worship that we read this morning, out of darkness comes light, right? And March kind of feels like that to me. It's kind of done with winter, but I don't dare throw that winter is over party yet that I am dying to throw. 
I know that weather is coming. I know that there are beautiful days like today, but then there are also really gross days. And there are going to be many days we're just stuck inside. And in our family, this is kind of a lull in our schedules. We're in between sports. We don't have a lot of things going on after school. And usually in those times, I will hear these words in my house. I'm bored, Mom. What can we do? My kids are laughing because they know the answer to this question. Do you want to tell them? What's the answer? Clean the toilets. Not just clean, but clean the toilets is the answer in my house. So they've learned not to ask this question anymore. They don't love that answer. It's not what they're expecting, right? So a couple of the disciples asked a question today, too, that Jesus gave them an an answer that they were not expecting. They were not hoping for this one. Jesus was leading the disciples from Capernaum, which is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, down to Jerusalem. This was not an odd trip to be taking. He would go to Jerusalem as a Jewish person for the Passover feast. So they thought, this was Passover time, so they thought, we're just going for Passover. All right, making a trip. So they're walking along the road. James and John run up to the front. Hey, Jesus, out of earshot of everybody else. And they ask him a favor. He said, we need you to do something for us. So we didn't read the verses before what happened here this morning, but they're important for you to know. Right before this conversation, Jesus had predicted his death, not for the first time, but for the third time. And James and John asked for a favor. Going to Jerusalem wasn't necessarily anything special. Uh, They would have gone for Passover, like I said. But this time, those events that were going to happen in Jerusalem would change everything. And Jesus was trying to prepare his friends for what's coming. The first time Jesus told them about his death, Peter argued with him. The second time, they largely ignored him and changed the subject, and this time is no different. The disciples ignored it. Maybe a couple of those who are internal processors were mulling it over in their head, trying to figure out what he was talking about, but nobody said a word about it. Instead, James and John ask for a favor. Okay, if I'm really honest, I want Jesus to look at James and John with all the sarcasm he can possibly muster and go, really? You want a favor? Did you hear what we were just, I just told you I was going to die. And there are some events that are not going to be pretty. And you're asking for a favor? That would be my response. But it wasn't Jesus. Jesus looked at James and John with eyes of compassion. And his response in other versions, not the one we read today, but in other versions of the Bible, Jesus' response is, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus is offering himself to them, even when they don't fully understand him. So James and John proceed with their request. All right, Jesus, when you take over, when you are sitting on the throne, we want the positions of honor. We want to be on your right and on your left. With Jesus' reply, he's again looking ahead to what is coming. Oh, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? 
Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering? I must be baptized? The positions on Jesus' right and left will not be places of honor. They will soon be held by the criminals. But without missing a beat, James and John reply, yeah, of course, we can do that. Sign us up. It'd be pretty easy to just brush them off and say they're completely clueless. Maybe they're greedy and they're, using, they're taking advantage of their, of their relationship with Jesus to get ahead, to get the best seat in the house. But we have to stop for a second and remember where, where James and John are coming from. You see, the Jewish people in the time were the oppressed. They were the bottom rung of the ladder. And the Messiah that they hoped for, the Messiah that they were taught about, was going to come and overturn this system so the Jewish people would be on top and the current Roman rulers would be on the bottom. They were going to take their place of authority. They can't even imagine anything different playing out. So what answer does Jesus give them? Does he give them those positions of power and of honor? No, he turns it into a teachable moment. Any parent or educator in this room can appreciate that. And so the rest of the disciples caught up and they heard what was going on. They're not happy. Our text said they were indignant. They were mad, okay? They were listening to James and John. Maybe they were mad that James and John got there first and asked for those positions first. Maybe they were mad that because they thought that they were all a team, they were together. And James and John clearly didn't think that. They thought they were more important. Whatever that was, there was some tension in the group. So Jesus stops and he gathers them all together. And he starts teaching the disciples about this new way of living that he is ushering in. He's not simply overturning the system. That system is broken, and it's time for something radically different, something that provides wholeness for all people. Rulers of that world used their power and authority for their gain. But Jesus says, among you... It will be different. If you want to lead, then you must serve. Because that's what it means to be a leader in the kingdom of God. There is no top spot of honor. There is serving each other. Jesus modeled this for for them in his response to their question. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus had the top spot. He was way at the top. He had honor and power and authority. But instead of holding on to it, he gave it away. He'll take that to the extreme on the cross, giving his very life for the restoration and the liberation of all people. 2,000 years later, our system is still broken. We work tirelessly for positions of power and authority Those positions in and of themselves are not bad. We need leaders. We need good leaders. We all have positions of authority, positions of influence in some way. So it's the motivation behind that matters. What do we do with that position of authority? What do we do with that influence? Are we seeking the good of all people? Are we asking the question, what do you want me to do for you? 
Our culture tells us to fight for power and do everything we can to hold on to it because then you have arrived. If you don't believe me, just turn on the TV, watch some election coverage, some political ads, where they will push everyone else down so that they can get ahead. But it's not specific to politics, is it? It's pervasive in our culture, in our workplaces, even in our schools. This week, as I was preparing for this, I came across a sermon by Martin Luther King Jr. on this text. It was the last sermon he preached before he was killed. He reminds us that this way of thinking, this clawing your way to the top, leads to exclusivism and prejudice of seeing those in power or those that look like us as more valuable than everyone else. It leads to horrible things, and we still see the consequences of such thinking in the past, but we are still dealing with the effects of it in the present. We are still fighting racism and inequality. And instead of a world at peace, King says, the nations of the world are engaged in a bitter, colossal contest for supremacy. I saw that so clearly when I was in Israel and Palestine. We as Americans could cruise through checkpoints no matter what with barely a wave to security. But those that were living in Palestine had to have the right papers, the right license plate, the right everything to go in and through these checkpoints. They stood, they sat in lines that were so, so long just to get to work, to get to school because they weren't the ones with power and authority, and the ones that do have it value themselves more than the other. But it's not just halfway across the world, it's prevalent here in our city and in our neighborhoods. But Jesus reminds us there's a better way. You wanna be first? Great, you should be. Be the first in loving others. You want to be great? Wonderful. You should be. Jesus' definition of great is to be a servant. And everybody can be great because everybody can serve. No matter if you are young or old, rich or poor, you look like you have your life all together or it feels like it's a giant mess, there is something of yourself that you can give away. So as Jesus and the disciples continued their journey, they traveled toward Jericho. On their way out of town, a crowd started to follow, and Bartimaeus was sitting outside the city gates. This is in Jerusalem, modern-day Jerusalem, but the gates would have looked similar. The crowds would come in and out of that gate. The top one is a modern day. The bottom one was old, original Jesus day. Um, but Bartimaeus would have been sitting outside these city gates because he was blind and he was a beggar. So all the people would be coming in and out, and this was his chance. This was where he could actually make some money, right, with all the crowds coming in and out. On this day, the audience held someone special. Bartimaeus had heard that Jesus was coming through, so he took a chance. The crowd came through. 
Bartimaeus felt something different in the energy of this crowd. He could hear them walk by. He could feel it. So he shouted out, Jesus, have mercy on me. Do something for me. And the disciples, they stopped in their tracks because Jesus had just taught them how to look around and to see those who need help. Wait, that's not the actual story. The disciples didn't quite get it yet. They were laser-focused on Jesus and on following his footsteps. And they forgot to look around. So the crowd hushed Bartimaeus. So he yelled louder. I love this guy. Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus stops. Jesus called Bartimaeus to himself. So Bartimaeus jumped up, threw off his coat, and went to Jesus. And Jesus asked him a question. What do you want me to do for you? The disciples must have heard. James and John's ears must have perked up. Oh, that question sounds familiar. Maybe this was what Jesus was trying to teach us. So Bartimaeus asks for his sight to be restored. Jesus knew that this man didn't need a teachable moment. This man had a basic human need to be met. So Jesus healed him. Jesus offered this healing out of who he was because he had it and he could give it. And because of that, Bartimaeus' sight is restored. But not only his sight, but now he has a chance at a full life again. Bartimaeus was blind. This dude had no status and he had no chance of gaining status as long as he was blind. Jesus healed him and gave him a chance at a full life. He gave him much more than sight. He liberated Bartimaeus. I really want to harp on the disciples here because they keep missing it. But I know I can't because I know I'm no different. I get laser focused on the things going on in my own life that I forget to look around See the needs around me. If I'm honest, sometimes I can justify that in my head because my job is helping people and doing things for other people. Box checked. But then I go home and I forget to look around in my neighborhood and see those who are hurting that I can sit with in their mess. I, for I forget to look around and see those who are rejoicing so that I can rejoice with them and celebrate with them. Or I'm in my car and I drive past the man who is homeless on the corner with the sign that says, anything can help. And I look the other way because I don't have time that day. Or sometimes I forget to look around in my own house at the people there who could just use me to sit with them for a minute an easy trap to fall into, even as the church. Historically, the church has been laser-focused on Jesus, which is a good, good thing. But there have been blind spots. The church, too, has forgotten to look around 
to feed the hungry and stand up for the marginalized and the oppressed. I wonder what the church might look like today if our discipleship model would just simply be asking the question, what do you want me to do for you? Notice that Jesus asked this question of two very different crowds. James and John were the insiders. They were close to him. Jesus knew them and spent time with them. He wanted them to understand that there is a new order of things with real possibilities of joy and love and peace. So he used that moment to teach them. But Bartimaeus was a stranger. He was an outsider. And yet Jesus looked on him with the same compassion he had for his disciples. And he restored Bartimaeus' sight and his life. And so, friends, we are invited to usher in that new order, that new way of living, the way of love and joy and peace. And if we're following the example of Jesus, Maybe it simply starts with asking the question, what do you want me to do for you? What is mine that I can share with you? From simple things, right, like time and presence, to big things like money or status, or using our spheres of influence on behalf of others and for the good of all The greatest will be the servant. That doesn't mean the greatest is the oldest, the one with the most money, the most powerful. That means every single one of us has something to give and something to offer. But we can't give anything of ourselves away if we don't also receive what we need. So maybe like Bartimaeus today, we are crying out, God have mercy on me. I need you to do something for me. Jesus modeled this one for us too. Jesus went away and he retreated to the mountains and he spent time with his father in quiet and in prayer. Jesus practiced self-care. Jesus knew what he needed so that he could give of himself to others. I don't know what that can look like for you in your daily lives. Chris talked last week about silence and solitude and maybe adding a few minutes in your day where you can simply be, to listen and to notice the promptings of God's Spirit in your life. Maybe we're in the season of Lent. Maybe there is something, some activity that you can do or something that you cannot do in this season so that you can notice what you need and what you can give away. We've had out for a couple of weeks, there's a uh, 40 days of Lent, an activity a day. We didn't put it out this morning, but if you would like one, talk to Chris or I, we both have that. Maybe there's something in there that can be a practice to help us notice, to pay attention. And so for the next few moments this morning, 
you are invited to simply sit in the quiet and notice? Is there someone that God's Spirit has been stirring on your heart that maybe would love it if you would ask the question, what do you need me to do for you? Maybe it's a family member or a coworker or somebody at school. But maybe, like Bartimaeus, you need to cry out, God, have mercy. Do something. So in the next few moments, I invite you into that same posture that we sat with a few minutes ago. Whatever posture that is that will help you be still and notice what the Spirit of God is urging in your heart. What do you want me to do for you?